This is the Groupfinity Podcast, episode number 36. Welcome to the Groupfinity Show, a podcast for leaders of volunteer organizations. We take the guesswork out of what works so you can focus on your mission, accomplish more, and get rid of administrative madness. And now, your host, who knows you are the 20% who does 80% of the work, Anthony Wilson. Welcome to the Groupfinity Podcast, no matter where you are and whenever you may be listening. Welcome back, Groupfinity Nation. Today, I'm speaking with Tracy Clark, the founder and CEO of Clark & Clark, a nonprofit consulting firm Tracy runs with her husband, Robert Clark. Tracy has been coaching and setting up nonprofit organizations for over 10 years. They have set up over 4,000 nonprofits and have received over $10 million in grant funding. Clark & Clark teaches self-sufficiency and business development. Their top priority is to see more minorities access the required funds to pursue their purpose. In this episode, we talk about how some nonprofits start a business that sells real products and services, and then they use those funds generated by that business to fund their programs. The key takeaways from my discussion with Tracy are, number one, grant funders want you to demonstrate sustainability. Number two, you can likely operate a business without a storefront. Number three, nonprofits face a lot of competition, so make sure you understand why people want to support yours. And number four, make sure you do a good job budgeting. Be sure to stick around to the end to hear how Tracy started her first business at the age of 10. I'll be back at the end to wrap it up. Here's Tracy. Hi, Tracy. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so glad you're here. You and your husband help people set up nonprofits when they don't know where to begin. I absolutely love that because most of us, when we start, we don't know where to start or what to do. And that's what you guys help people with. So if you're firm, Clark and Clark. And um, your work has led to the formation of over 4,000 nonprofits and over $10 million raised. That's absolutely fantastic. So you and I have had previous conversations about how nonprofits are developing products and services to fund their programs instead of relying on traditional fundraising. And so I'm so excited to hear what your learnings are around that. So share a little bit about that with us. Absolutely. Well, a lot of nonprofits, even though they may have had some successful fundraising campaigns, what they're realizing is they want a little bit more control over the funding that's coming in to their nonprofit organization. They don't want to rely on fundraisers. They don't want to rely on individuals and they don't want to rely on grants anymore. Another thing that some of the new nonprofits are realizing is that some grants want you to be sustainable. So they don't mind giving you some funding, but some of them are like, hey, we're not going to be funding you every year. What's your plan to become sustainable? And so what we found was a lot of larger nonprofit organizations are utilizing products and services. Some people don't even realize that they are nonprofit organizations such as Starbucks, Tom's, the YMCA that has products and services that speak to the needs of the community and also has the opportunity to pour in to individuals who may not be able to afford those products and services as well. So what types of products and services are you seeing? I know you mentioned Tom's and Starbucks. What are people using or how are people using those products and services to raise funds for their organizations? Absolutely. So for an example, with Starbucks, they do a lot of things for the community, period, with what they're bringing in. Tom's has that um, buy one, get one type thing going, which a lot of nonprofits utilize. So every time that you purchase a pair of Toms, they give a pair of shoes to a child that's in need. There's also a sock company called Bombas, 
who does the mm-hmm. same thing. Some of my organizations have utilized a several different types of ways to be able to, to raise funds for their nonprofits when it comes to products and services. One that I just spoke with yesterday, they have a storefront and they actually entrepreneurs in the design area to get their sneakers design, get clothing design. This is specifically in the inner city. And so these are individuals who don't know, they may have artistic skills or design skills, but don't know how to present their products and services. So they created a storefront where they help them to create their products and services, market their products and services in here somewhere where they can actually visually see them. And their storefront gets a percentage of the sales when an individual purchases their products and services. And they actually just got a grant. They've been doing this for about three or four years now. They just got a grant from Gucci. This is just fresh, hot off the press (laughs) that I found out yesterday. And so they finally were able to after having that sustainability of having their own products and services and being able to take care of their own needs as a nonprofit, start to get some of the larger grants and partner with some of these larger names as well. Oh, wow. That's exciting. And and mm-hmm. I'm glad that we're getting something here hot off the presses. We are yes. like break, breaking news here. <laughs> breaking news. Absolutely. absolutely. So how they come, how they conceive that, how they come up This particular um, individual has an amazing story. He actually started his nonprofit behind bars. And so he had, when you say have an ear to the community, (laughs) he had his ear to the community full fledged. And what he found was it was a lot of entrepreneurs that were behind bars as well. And they had a lot of good skills that were not related to crime or anything like that, but they didn't know how to utilize that. So he dedicated himself to when he gets out that he wanted to create a way for people to be able to utilize those skills in a way that is correct, that's right, that's by the books and by the law and things like that. And so that particular individual came out and he noticed their organization is specifically geared towards minorities, Black people specifically. And what he noticed was that in our community, we really love fashion. Fashion is huge, but a lot of times we are supporting others, other um, individuals' fashion, big companies and things like that, but we don't necessarily support within. And so he wanted to create a way to start to support within the community when it comes to fashion. That's how he got inspired. And he just went from there. (laughs) So he has a nonprofit and people that want to design sneakers or clothing or apparel, they can come in-house, they get help. And then when they sell their products, a portion of those sales come back into his nonprofit. Is that how it works? That is correct. That's exactly how it works. That's awesome. So that's like really anyone can do that, right? Like you just, you could be in a consultant and help someone do something. And then the fruits of their labor can then be contributed back to your nonprofit to help fund more, to to help further fund your programs. Absolutely. That's exactly how it will work. And the great thing is it creates a win-win. These individuals, uh, like he has a podcast studio inside of the, inside of his location. He's one of our, one of the small percentages of nonprofits that does have a brick and mortar, which I have, I I try, I always say, try not to have a brick and mortar as Mm -hmm. much as possible because that's more overhead that you have to, that you have to be responsible for as a nonprofit. However, in his particular case, the entrepreneurs need somewhere to be able to display their items, storefront, as well as a training academy where they teach you about design, teach you about copyright, have the podcast area where you can start to promote and market. So you're getting all of these skills and all of these um, services to your brand and getting your getting help building your brand. And in return, when you start to see sales and things like that, you're giving back to the community as well and giving back to the nonprofit. So it really creates a win-win. 
And so I'm so glad you brought this concept of storefront, brick and mortar, or, or online, right? Because some people say, oh, I have to have a store. Like my stuff, it's physical product. People have to feel it. They have to see it. Or some people are just like, no, I, no way I can have a store. I have to be 100% online. Whereas I think for most things, it, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. What do you say when people come to you and they say either I have to have a storefront or I can only be on? What I say is when it comes to nonprofit, you have to really, when it comes to bringing in funding for your nonprofit organization, you have to look in two areas. A lot of times people look a lot into the bringing in area. This is personal Mm -hmm. as well. How can I bring in more? How can I make more? But they don't look as closely into what's going out. I particularly have had a storefront before for several businesses. I fell in love with businesses before I fell in love with nonprofits. That was my first love. And then I found out about nonprofits and I'm like, oh, this is even better. Helping people (laughs) who help others and that makes it even better. But I've had both. And when it comes to storefronts and when it comes to commercial property, if there's anybody who's listening who, who doesn't know the difference between private residency and commercial property, it is totally different. It's a total different numbers game. You're paying total different prices and you don't want to get involved, especially starting off over your head. Now, there are certain organizations that their types of type of organization, they have to have a storefront. They really like their types of their type of organization really calls for something like that. Maybe a church or organization like Soul Folks, which is the organization mm-hmm. that I just spoke of earlier. However, I would really challenge you to really think about ways that you can save when it comes to having a specific storefront. For an example, a lot of our nonprofits will partner with churches, with the YMCA. Mm-hmm with boys and girls clubs and utilize some of their space. How Mm -hmm. often, this was big when it came to my storefront, how often will you be utilizing that storefront? Mm -hmm. Because guess what? Whether you're going to utilize it for the entire time or not, you have to pay that rent, pay that lease, whatever. You got to pay the rent. You got to pay the electric bill. (laughs) Yes. So you want to be utilizing it as much as possible. You don't want to have a program that's going to be needing some space two to three days a week. And Mm -hmm. you're paying for that space to run 24 seven. So look into different alternatives when it comes to space. The great thing about it is there's a lot of people out here who already have space and they have a challenge because they're having to pay that rent, maybe even another nonprofit. So you guys may be able to work together and help each other out by them charging you for the time that you're going to be utilizing that space as opposed to you all having your own separate spaces. So I would say try as much as possible to only get into having a space when you really need it. Now, I I love that, that you brought that up. And I think that's really smart, right? Find a church or find another nonprofit that's struggling in their space and and band together and help each other out. Yep. Now you're creating a win-win. That's Mm -hmm. my motto. (laughs) Win-win. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. So... One challenge that I see, and I like to hear your thoughts on this, is that you talk to organizations that are nonprofits and you get them out of that comfort zone in terms of, hey, you don't have to do things the way they've always been done. I know you've always fundraising and writing grants, but use products and services to fund your organization. And I think that requires a a change in mindset. What what have you found with, with respect to that, trying to change people's mindset around this? Absolutely. I think that the biggest thing is in the nonprofit world, Sometimes they think it's like this magical wand or something like that, (laughs) that you create a nonprofit. Then all of a sudden people are going to support and want to give to your nonprofit. You're going to get grants and then you're going to have all your salaries there and you're good to go. 
And the truth of the matter is it really just doesn't work like that. The truth of the matter is in the nonprofit world, there is a lot of competition and you need to strategically think about why an individual or a foundation, if you're looking for grants or even when it comes to products and services, why they want to utilize and choose your nonprofit organization. So just like a business, you have to put your business hat on in that aspect. And just like a business, you have to think, how can I provide value in this area? One of the big things when it comes to products and services for me is I try to help nonprofits to find an area where there's a need anyway. I love the YMCA concept, the Goodwill concept. We are, hey, people need to get rid of clothing anyway. There's a lot of people who don't want to have as much when it comes to sustainability. They want to purchase used items. So now we have a market here. We can be that liaison. We can be that person in the middle that helps in that area. So find an area of need. And instead of thinking about how can I bring in, how can I create funding? How can I bring in more? I really need money for this. I really need money for that. Think about how you can really be a full service and how you can really add value. How can I add value? How is this a value, whether it's to a community who does not have the funds or if it's a community to a community who does have the funds? Sometimes you can take a product and you can say, you know what? This is a product that I want to give to someone on a sliding scale basis who may not have all the funds like the YMCA does. But there are people who can pay for their fitness and can pay and we can utilize those funds to be able to offset some of the ones who may not be able to have it right now. So you hit two of my biggest buzzwords, and I love it. Service and value, Mm -hmm. right? right? I mean, if you, I just think if you provide a service that's valuable to people, good things will happen. If you're providing value, good things will happen and and good stuff will come back to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so, so if I'm an organization and I'm hearing this and I want to get started, like what, what should I start thinking about first? What should be my first few steps? The first thing that you should start thinking about is your budget and what you really need. Again, going back to soul folks, because I just absolutely love their stories, like literally started from the bottom. One of the things that he was saying is when you really break down what you need to accomplish your goal, you might not need as many finances as you think that he was able to. And I've done this for several of our organizations. When we talk about brick and mortar, you can get space either donated. A lot of people lend space to nonprofits while it's on the market or while they're about to do other things with the property. If you see property that's not being utilized, that may be an opportunity for you as well. So first, get together a budget where you can really decipher what you really need so that you can decide Are these needs, can these needs be be compensated by a program or by a service or by an in-kind donation? Do I necessarily need cash money to make this thing happen? So I would say that would be the first step is to really decide what you want to do, how much it's going to cost, and how can you get to the point of impact in the fastest manner? So what do I mean by that? Someone may say, okay, I want to create a homeless shelter. And I want it to be this huge school and house a hundred families and things like that. And you're just starting. You don't have board members. You may have to break that down into a smaller step because a lot of funders, they want to see that you're making impact. So if your impact isn't going to start until you get this building and that's such a long program, you may need to backtrack and say, okay, what do I really want to do? I want to impact the homeless community. Okay, how can I do that? What's the quickest way I can get to that goal and start creating that impact? Because money follows money. 
when you see people, when you see the impact being created, people want to give to that. I actually have an individual that uh, does dog breeding and they they were doing some type of an auction with one of their dogs. And for the all of the funds that would come from that auction went to these coats for the homeless that, that they're a coat slash sleeping bag. And so they took all those proceeds. They had so much news um, interest. They were able to get onto the news and do all those things because they were able to immediately get to impact. They ended up raising $5,000. That's not a huge amount of money, but it's the impact and it's a great story. So now they're able to build that momentum. So I would say, look at your general plan. Look at where the value is you really want to give and where the impact is you really want to give and see how you can take a bite off of that and just get started. Get started in creating that impact because I noticed that there's two types of people. There's a type of person that does a lot of planning and there's a type of person that doesn't do any planning. They just go in there and then they're like, oh, wait, I need the 501c3. Oh, wait, I needed this or that. You want to be somewhere in the middle there. So you want to have a solid plan, but at the same point in time, you don't want to be building your website for three years. <laughs> so, yep, absolutely. So yep. mm-hmm. And we know a lot of people are like that, right? Been building mm-hmm. that website forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the world has changed. By the time they built their website, we're not even, yeah. we're using social media now more. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so somewhere in between. And I love your phrase, money follows money. I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to trademark that. I like that. Absolutely. That's not my favorite though. <laughs> That's something I've heard. So, but yeah. I know, I know, but I love the way you use that. So if, if, if I'm listening to this, I'm like, hey, I got to come up with some products and services. And I know that in your example earlier, you talked about they really, they started with what they knew. What would you advise someone to do with it? Should they do the same thing? Kind of start with the things close to home, the things that they already know how to do, the things they know how to make. Maybe they're already making some products. What should this be the first steps? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The magic recipe I found out for that is... Finding something that you're passionate in and that you have passion around, but just passion is not going to do it. You got to have the salt and the pepper. So the pepper is finding something that the community really needs as well, because you can have all the passion in the world. But if it's really not a need right now, if it's really not something that other people are excited about, which is why you have to have your ear to the community and you have to see the easiest way is to find areas where there are there's a waiting list. For something, for an example, one thing that you could do is you could provide essential needs. I serve on the board of a nonprofit that specifically provides transitional housing for individuals that are coming out of domestic violence relationships. Now, their transitional housing is a product and service. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they're actually getting paid by the government for something called in the state of Indiana, at least Section 42, where they get paid. The individual does not pay for this housing. But they are getting paid from someone else to provide this housing. So that's mm-hmm. the basics of providing a base essential need for an area of the community. So I would say find an area that you're passionate about and then find an area where you really, truly see need. Because if you really, truly see need, there's going to be other individuals that's impacted by that. If homelessness mm-hmm. is a problem in your area, believe me, it's a problem for a lot of people. It's not just a problem for you. It's a problem for a lot of people. So that way you can easily tie and start to create this army of people that can go out and say, okay, I want to help in that area too. Oh, you have an idea around that. I've been wanting to do something around that as well. Let me help you out. And now you create this team, which is a great concept when it comes Mm -hmm. to nonprofits. So the intersection of passion, needs, and holes. I like that. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So Tracy, tell me, what did you learn, if anything, about this through the pandemic? 
the biggest thing I learned in the pandemic, and I was mentioning this book, Essentialism, to you, but the biggest thing that I learned is you really have to cut out the fluff and really decipher what is really of need and how you can really create that impact. So for an example, I have a lot of nonprofits that would do fundraising events. Is it really necessary for you to get together physically? (laughs) That's a big, that was a big, a big uh, learning curve and a big question that a lot of our nonprofits had. Another thing that I learned was that how can you create something that's exciting that you're not getting together physically. Another big another big tip is when it comes to the pandemic, understanding the virtual world and understanding electronics, understanding how you're able to connect online and things like that. There were a lot of nonprofits that were just doing things because it worked in the old school manner. So almost all of their stuff, they didn't know anything about Zoom or anything about some of the online platforms where they can still connect to their area of the community and spread their message without having to be out there physically. So the biggest thing that I learned is you want to make sure that you're always on the cutting edge when it comes to social media, connecting virtually, because these things that are in place are really blessings for us as nonprofit entrepreneurs and leaders now. Back in the day, before all of this existed, you had to knock on doors. You had to get out into the community physically. But the silver lining about the pandemic is, guess what? You can touch so many more people. We're talking to each other. I'm in Indiana. You're in California, correct? And we're having a whole full conversation. So that's just one of the biggest benefits when it comes to the virtual space is that I've actually found that a lot of nonprofits have reached areas of the world that they don't typically reach out to because they've then expanded to the, in the virtual space. So the biggest thing about the pandemic was in, in any situation is look for the silver lining. Okay, I can't go into the school right now and do my program. Is there a way for me to create this program online? And is there a way that I can spread the word to where somebody who may not have been able to physically walk into that school where they can be able to access these services um, and access these benefits? Mm-hmm. Hey, Tracy, this has been fantastic. I just have a couple more questions for you. So how did you get into this? Why are you so passionate about this? I fell in love with business at a really young age. I started my first business at the age of 10. I was managing a pizza place at the age of 12. And I was just really interested in how money moves. I grew up in the streets of Detroit, Michigan, which that's the hood for any of you all that may not know. (laughs) And I was just really interested in the fact that there were certain groups of people that did not understand the business world and certain groups of people that did. And what's the difference between these two people? So every time I would go into a business, I would be studying what types of people come in here. How are they advertising? I was just really interested in the way that money flowed. My mother actually went to college while we were in high school and we moved after she graduated. We moved to the suburbs of Detroit, Southfield, Michigan, and it was a whole total different world. So that was just really interesting to me to see how people moved in the inner cities as opposed to how people moved in the better areas and things like that when it came to business. So I started several businesses. I started a fitness studio. I started a daycare, which I ran for 10 years. And I eventually started to consult other businesses because I found that whatever business I started, it worked out. And so I started to consult other businesses and I bumped into a nonprofit organization. I didn't even know what nonprofits were. And I was like, Oh my goodness, if I'm going to help anybody to bring in more money into their organization, I want to help those who are also helping us. That's 
to me, how we create a better world and how we really are the change that we want to see. And so I decided to dedicate all of my services to nonprofits and teaching them how to look at their nonprofit as a business. I also work with a couple of um, authentic businesses as well. Ones who really want to create change, ones who really want to create impact and who want to help those who are in situations where they really need help the most. And so that's how I really got started is I started consulting other nonprofits and I really fell in love with it. But my passion grew even deeper when I actually came hand in hand with a nonprofit organization, actually the same nonprofit organization that I serve on the board with right now, the transitional home for those who are survivors of domestic violence. I'm also a survivor of domestic violence. And I found myself inside of that transitional home. And I was like, there are some things that I would adjust here, some things that I would change, some things that are going great, some areas I want to help them out in. And I was like, after I get done with this period and get done with this transition, transition in my life, I really want to give back. And I went back and I'm, I give to that nonprofit. I actually meet with some of the ladies this evening and we actually help them to create businesses and nonprofit organizations in which they don't have to get out and go out into the community as much because they're, they have a big need of doing things virtually. A lot of times there are restraining orders in place and things like that. So we give back to them. We take care of all of their filing fees and we do that for free as a nonprofit that we have our, on our own selves or whatnot. And then we utilize some of the funds that we get in consulting with other nonprofits to be able to help those individuals. So that's where I really grew my passion and grew my love um, for nonprofits when I was someone who was actually served by a nonprofit organization. Oh, that's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. No problem. So if someone wants to find Clark and Clark, how do they find you? Absolutely. You go to ClarkandClark.org. You can actually download a free nonprofit crash course. So if you haven't started your nonprofit yet, it'll tell you all the ins and outs about starting a nonprofit, what you need to know. And it's completely free. It also has a free checklist right there of everything that you need. We also offer services if you already have a nonprofit organization. We have something called a nonprofit blueprint where we talk about the four keys and the four main pillars of a successful nonprofit organization. Right there on ClarkandClark.org, you'll find my email address, which is info at Clark and Clark, and also all of our social media contacts as well. That's fantastic, Tracy. I appreciate this so much. I think that you had a lot of great insights. I think that a lot of the nonprofits that I talk to struggle with this whole for-profit side or for-profit potential of the nonprofit, but I really think it's an exciting thing to explore. Absolutely. And just to throw one more thing in there, that is a big area of concern. People are like, okay, how can I bring in profit if I'm a nonprofit? One thing that you want to remember is a nonprofit organization does not mean that you don't generate funds. You need to generate funds to exist as a nonprofit and to be able to be successful as a nonprofit. What it means is at the end of the day, you're not doing this for the profit. You're doing this for the community that you want to serve. No, absolutely. And I, and where I think people get hung up on is the sort of the tax issue. And what I tell people is, who cares if you made $10,000 and let's say you paid $7,000 more than you otherwise would have had? Absolutely. That's a win. Absolutely. That's a win. <laughs> That's, a, That's win. a win. That's better than zero. Better than zero. You are absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Hey, Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. No problems. Thanks for having me. Tracy shared some great insights on how nonprofits can use a for-profit business to fund their purpose and programs. I love it when she talked about how nonprofits are pursuing this. She says they don't want to rely on fundraisers, they don't want to rely on individuals, and they don't want to rely on grants anymore. 
There are a ton of resources at ClarkandClark.org. I encourage you to go over there and check it out. I included links to the website and resources in the show notes of this episode. To make sure you don't miss out on anything, go over to Groupfinity.com and join the community by clicking subscribe. Also, go to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show, and please be sure to leave a rating and a review. Until the next episode, this is Anthony Wilson. Stay safe and be the leader that everyone wants to follow. Thanks for listening to the Groupfinity Podcast. For more information about the show, to leave comments, and connect with the host, head over to www.groupfinity.com.